Hi, everybody. Welcome to Toddler Purgatory. I'm one of your hosts, Malita. Nope, just Molly. <laughs> That's what David calls you. He does. My little Molly. <laughs> what up? It's Blair. Just Blair. No one just calls Blair. me their little Blair. <laughs> <Nobody>. <laughs> David mostly calls me Malls. Malls. Or Mall. We also call each other. We do that thing where like, I call him dad and he calls me. Well, it's not like mother, but... Like even today, my son was at school and I said to David, hey, dad, I yelled downstairs and he goes, yeah, yeah, I do that, too. It's like when I want my kids to do something Mm -hmm. or refer to their father, like if they're looking for something that I have no time for, I'm like, hey, dad, hey, daddy, hey, dad, I'm going to need you to step in here, please. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Get it. Totally. Today, I'm really excited about this. We're talking to a special guest later in the show. We're going to be talking all about literacy. And how early do we have to start to make sure our kids turn out to be readers, right? Readers, Mm -hmm. like not skimmers, not skimmers or texters. (laughs) They're all going to be texters. (laughs) Although, of course, by the time they're big, there won't be text. They'll just like blink their eyes three times for I was about to say it'll be in their eyeballs. Yes. Well, that's what it feels like. Maybe not in our lifetime, but boy, it sure does feel like that. It really does. It really, really does. But like reader readers. I know I get it like uh, opening up, not just at nighttime, but like, you know, Car ride to school readers. Yeah. Sitting on the bench waiting for mom readers to pick you up from basketball practice readers. Yeah, which is tough. I mean, there's always been things pulling our kids' attentions away from what we would consider like a good book. But now there's even more because there's the flashing light and very exciting aspect of handheld video games or computers or phones or whatever. Oh, we're going to get into that, too. Were you a reader, Molly? Yes. Yes. You were. Well, my mother's it. a librarian. All right. So you had that. You had that influence. And also, like, there were three channels on TV and the TV didn't really go on. There was like... True that. Oprah started fairly... I mean, there were like soap operas. Mm-hmm. Then there was the news. Mm-hmm. And then there were, you know, sitcoms or dramas or like um, St. Elsewhere. Oh, whatever Elsewhere. was that. <laughs> you know? I am old. I vaguely remember MASH. I was tiny. Oh. Okay. 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 I vaguely remember Phil Donahue. I'm old. I was a little baby. Phil Donahue, I remember. For sure. Oprah, most definitely. And then TGIF. TGIF, oh, for sure. Friday Night Videos. Don't get me started. But yeah, I just told my son the other day that when I was a kid, I had a book started in every room. Oh, wow. So I had a bedside table book. I had one in the living room. I had one in the kitchen. And I would just like walk through, pick it up, read it, mm-hmm. put it back down, go to the next. Like, But I wasn't doing like a book circuit or anything. It's just like when I was in a room, I prefer to be reading. You little Weisenheimer. But I also got pulled as I got older. That was more when I was little, like maybe 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and I got into whatever, sports or cheerleading or gazing at my latest crush, <laughs> <laughs> I did pull away from it a little bit, but I certainly had that foundation. Which is great. Which is great. And I do kind of use it as an example is just my mother was a librarian, but also Mm -hmm. I did have the modeling that my mom and dad sat down after dinner and after they cleaned up the kitchen and they they sat down and my mom read her book. My dad read magazines or a book. Mm -hmm. He was more of a nonfiction guy. Okay. I see that in Dick Lloyd. I see that. Dick Lloyd. Yeah. But the author that we're talking to today, Maya Smart, will tell you all about her book. In her book, I learned that 94% of moms in one study said that no health professional had spoken to them about their newborn's language development. Wow. Wow. 94% of moms. Wow. What? Wow. Yes. And that's such an interesting thing because also your brain is so foggy when you've just had a newborn, (laughs) right? you know? But then before that, we have all this precursor stuff about the physical aspect of keeping your Mm -hmm. newborn happy and fed and slept and all that stuff. But 94%. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and look out for these physical things and make sure that they're moving and make sure that... Yes, but nothing about language development. And Maya gets into it in her book Mm -hmm. so much about all the different aspects of how we can be helping our kid. But she also says, I don't want anyone to panic because she also says, you will never find a better time than now to launch a reader. And now means wherever you are and your kid is. This podcast is for zero to six and that's exactly who she writes the kids age that she writes this book for, for the parents of. So you'll never find a better time than now to launch a reader. Oh, I love that idea. Me too. And especially because I grew up not reading because I was a slow reader and it bothered me. So it was like whenever I had to like read aloud in class and it was like my turn, it was like, uh oh, no, 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 me no likey. So I attributed that. And my mom was a People Magazine reader, but not much on books. We had lots of books in our house. That was the thing. Like she read a book. Like my parents would read a book occasionally, but they weren't like, you know, fervent readers. Yeah. So I just never did it. But now I'm like, maybe I should read more. And I do. I'm an occasional book reader. Yeah. You know, I have kind of grown into an occasional book reader myself. I do belong to a book club. It's called the No Guilt Book Club. So if you come, you don't have to have read the book. I know. I like that. Brilliant. I like that. Brilliant. I haven't been recently because it's on the same night as my son has swim lessons. So <laughs> I haven't been lately, but but it's awesome. Yeah, the no guilt. But it does inspire me to get those books. And sometimes I read them and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I, you know, I get on a flight. And if I go to Hudson Newsstand and say, I'm going to read this book on this flight, it is the best flight. It goes by so fast. I know. It reminds me how wonderful reading is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you found some other stuff on dosomething.org that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. You know, what's also interesting that I found on dosomething.org. They have like all kinds of things with like uh, stats on different things in America, but this was on literacy. Did you know, folks, that one in four children in America grow up without learning how to read? One in four. That's heartbreaking. That's so heartbreaking. And students who don't read proficiently by third grade are four times likelier to drop out of high school. Oh, my gosh. I mean, not drop out of high school, drop out of school, period. Drop out of school, yeah. Just nuts. (sighs) And this was a little bit staggering to me. And I was like, you know, like we live in our little bubble and then, you know, our little world in which, you know, everyone kind of like thinks and learns alike. And it says that 54% of adults have a literacy below the sixth grade level. And that's in America, in the United States. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. We got problems. We need to do something. Like, I feel like literacy and especially like Maya kind of like lights this fire that it's not just like me with my kids. It's like me with my community's kids. Like we can help each other with this. Yeah. There has to be a way. She definitely like, yeah, there is a way. And also it starts at home. And I think that's what will, you know, I learned from reading this as well. It's funny that you say that about that third grade. Students who don't read proficiently by the third grade are four times likely to drop out of school. Another stat from Maya's book says kindergarten language skills are the single best predictor of school achievement across all subjects in third and fifth grade. All subjects. We're talking math. We're talking science. Wow. Yes. Our kids are right at a great age, everybody, to kick in the learning, whether your kid is exiting your body even as we speak or (laughs) right this very moment. We know somebody we know somebody is or has (laughs) or has already started school. And what can we do at home to be supplementing that? So when we come back, we'll be talking to Maya Smart about her book, Reading for Our Lives. We'll be right back. So pumped. 
When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Toddler Purgatory. So here we go. We are so thrilled to have this guest in the studio today. Maya Payne Smart is a parent educator, literacy advocate, and the author of Reading for Our Lives, a literacy action plan from birth to six, which hit the shelves last August. Her website, mayasmart.com, publishes new book lists, literacy activities, and other free you know we love free, Family Resources Weekly to help parents play their dual roles as first teachers and educational advocates. She holds a master's degree in journalism from the Medill School at Northwestern University and a bachelor's in social studies with honors from Harvard University. Okay, honors. What? What, black girl magic? Okay. (laughs) She serves as affiliated faculty in educational policy and leadership in the College of Education at Marquette University. Please welcome Maya Smart. Round of applause. Yes. Welcome, Maya. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to chat this morning. We are too. So this book, Reading for Our Lives, I just need to talk about the title for a second. Reading for Our Lives. Can you tell us how you came up with that title? I love it so much. It was a long iterative process. So it had terrible titles like 101 Ways to Raise a Reader and things like that initially. And then I was like, nobody wants 101 Ways to Do Anything. And what I really (laughs) wanted to communicate was just the urgency around this issue and how many people never get to read at a level that really supports them in their career and taking care of their families. And that there were all these new dynamics going on with COVID and things within schools that were making it more challenging than parents realized. And in my mind, it was something that parents needed to be alerted to so that they could start thinking about it much earlier than they might ordinarily. Yes. You know, I quoted one of the quotes in your book, 94% of moms in one study said that no health professional had spoken to them about their newborn's language development. That stopped me in my tracks. Yes. 
it's kind of that survival mode when, especially with your first child. So you're learning all about breastfeeding and just keeping them nourished and then alive physically. You're given a lot of instruction about setting up the car seat and sort of all these detailed things that feel really urgent in the beginning. And I don't think parents are told enough about how to nurture brain development and how it starts immediately. Once the little one is in your arms, you have all these opportunities through conversation and just love and affection and nurturing that those things are related to brain development, related to language development, and then ultimately related to reading prospects. Yes. And you know, that conversation that you mentioned, I thought that was really important. I was reading your book and you talk about how there's this singular focus on reading to your kid at bedtime, but that the back and forth is so important. And I think that was so interesting because I do remember this thing. My dad's a school, was a school psychologist and he did this thing where kids would talk to him and, and say stuff to him that he didn't understand because they were two or three years old and he'd go, Oh yeah, when? And that was always his standard response, which I always thought was so funny. But then I read that, that in your <laughs> book about there are so many facets. There's all this, not pressure put on, but emphasis put on nighttime reading. Why isn't that enough? It's not enough, one, because it's just one point in your day. You have all these opportunities. And with the little ones, they keep us up around the clock. <laughs> so it's important for parents to understand that there are all these opportunities to engage with kids in ways that do support learning. And just that that back and forth exchange is really, really important in a way that I didn't understand. So I did get the advice to read to my daughter every night. I got the advice to talk to her, narrate everything that's happening, you know, in the grocery store, store, describe the colors and shapes of the fruit and all that. But no one told me that it was about her response as well, that it really was a dialogue, a back and forth conversation, and that I should treat those coups and babbles, to your point about your dad, treat it as conversation and respond, even when you don't have a clue <laughs> what they're saying or trying to say. <laughs> One day you will. And the more you vocalize, ask questions, pause and wait for the response, that's the, the mechanism of learning for them. That's so funny because there is... Molly, have you ever played that improv game where it's like babble? Oh, yeah. Yeah, gibberish improv. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like one person is speaking gibberish and you answer them as if you know exactly what's going on. It's one of my favorite improv games. And when I play it with kids, they love it. So it's like, it's kind of like, you know, the same idea, which is awesome. It is. And the key components are you're paying attention. Even if you don't understand, you're giving them your focus, you're looking at their gestures and their eye gaze, and you're trying to take in all these clues about what they might be trying to communicate. And there's just something really powerful about like holding kids and loving attention and remembering that our words are a kind of nourishment too. Oh, I love that. Our words are a kind of nourishment. Yes. Yes. What inspired you to write this book? My daughter, I have, she's now 11 years old. Her name is Zora. And she's just such a miracle in my life. And we named her after a novelist, obviously. I'm named after Maya Angelou. So we have that in common. So I just wanted books and literature to be a big part of her life. And then I discovered that, of course, before you can love literature, you have to know how to read. <laughs> and I realized that reading to her, it just, I had this nagging sense that there had to be more to it because even in families with multiple siblings, all the kids are read to in some instances and some are stronger readers than others. So like, what else is it? What else is going on? And then you discover, well, some kids are paying more attention to the print than others. Some kids are spoken to more 
in the family, you know, birth order and all these factors influence how many words and how many of those kind of focus back and forth exchanges kids have. So just digging into all that personal curiosity and then just I'm a very detail oriented (laughs) research kind of person. So it got to be too much information for one mom to use. I had to share it with other people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. And thank you for that because... I would have stopped at one. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't gotten to 99. Can I ask you a question for those of our listeners who are listening and thinking, oh, no, I didn't do this. I didn't have this information when my kid was a newborn or one years old. You know, my kid is getting older, two, three, four, five, even six. Could this book still help them? Are we too late? (laughs) No, it's not too late. And the fact of the matter is every parent has had some conversation with kids. So it's just about kind of taking it to the next level. So now that you know those back and forth exchanges are so important, you can consciously speak to kids in a more conversational way and more frequently now throughout the day in everyday life. And just know that you're building, they constantly need their vocabularies built. We focus so much when we think about reading on decoding the text on the page, so mapping those the letters in print to the sounds. But kids, even if you sound out a word, you still have to know what that word means. You have to understand context. You have to be able to make sense of the whole sentence and the paragraph. So kids always need words. And most of us as adults have more vocabulary. So we can make it a habit of describing the environment around us or introducing them to different ideas or even talking about the movies and TV shows you're watching, just view all of that as background knowledge building, watch some documentaries as vocabulary building, and then also make sure that they have the technical skills of decoding so they can read fluently enough to really get more and more complex text. Totally. It's so funny because last night, me and my son, my son's six, and we were studying for a science test and they just give us like six to 10 things for them to just like memorize. So I'm just like throwing them at them, you know, and I'm just like, okay, water does what off of light or light does what off of water? And he's like, uh, reflex. And I'm like, exactly. And then we move on and we're just doing that. And then I stop myself and I'm like, wait a minute. I was like, do you know what reflex means? And he's like, no. (laughs) I was like, right. Okay. So I'm like, we can't memorize this stuff without him knowing what the word means. Like, that's an instant duh. But in the moment, I was like, we have to memorize these so you can do well on your science test. But what are you learning? So then we stopped. And then I was like, all right, I went and got a glass of water. And I put it up to the window. And I was like, that's how. And then it like you could see things start to come together. And it's like, Molly and I always talk about these whenever we do research and stuff, or we read things, and then we get on the pod and talk about it. It's always like these like, aha, no duh moments. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it's also like, yeah, that's it. It's all about just like understand them understanding fully what's on the page, what's going into their brain holes. Right. Absolutely. And what I love about the example you just gave is like you didn't need a textbook or an elaborate workbook to teach that lesson. So I always encourage parents, think of yourself as a teacher and know that talk is one of your main methods. So anytime you take the time to slow down and check your child's understanding, do you know what reflex means? Like just that pause and giving them the chance to respond, hearing what they do understand, what they don't understand, trying to find concrete ways in your environment to illustrate the idea or draw a comparison to something they know from some other element of their lives. Parents can do that all day, every day, and it really does make a huge impact. 
That reminds me of one thing you, you said in your book about connecting kids, especially at an early age, to reading. And if you're finding that your kids are not, you know, being drawn to certain books, perhaps it's because they don't reflect their daily life. And so maybe keep an eye out for books that like take a little kid through a day. And then you even have one suggestion of like, you can make your own book using photos of the stuff that they do and the people they know. And I really love that idea. And I know not everybody feels like they're crafty or whatever, but I feel like that's you could just, you know, go to CVS, print out a few pictures, and then do a four-page book for your kid. But I love that idea of personalizing the reading experience early so that they start to see story even in their own lives. Yes. I love the little Facebooks, I call them, <laughs> of, you know, grandma, grandpa, you know, the neighbor, whoever you have pictures of. And we don't print pictures out anymore. We think, you know, they're all on our phones and we're just scrolling through. But we have to remember that with babies and toddlers, they're learning so much just about the object of books. And so like you're teaching them something when they learn that the pages turn in a certain direction or that text runs from left to right or top to bottom. And so it's about following their interests also. And babies are interested in faces. Yeah, totally. So interesting. There's one thing that you say that got my attention because I didn't grow up as like a fervent or adventurous reader because I was a slow reader. And I was telling Molly earlier that it was like, it was embarrassing, you know, like when you have to like read in front of the class. And so that kind of like deterred me from reading, but I had a huge imagination and I did other things. But I'm like with my kids, I'm like, we're going to read. Everybody's going to read and it's going to be amazing. And you guys are going to be like book nerds, bookworms. It's going to happen, right? And then you say, we can't cram kids way to reading. What do you mean? Because I feel like I do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like you're reading lots of books over time. So it's not cramming. But what I mean by that is sort of panicking and then getting really intense about it with like flashcards and workbooks and like trying to cover a lot of ground quickly. I think when we as parents are teaching a little bit, a light, fun touch consistently every day, making letters a topic of conversation with your three or four-year-old and telling them that every letter is made up of lines, dots, and curves. And just, you know, it could be on a cereal box. It could be on a t-shirt. And you just get in the habit of saying, oh, look at this S. S says it goes this way and that way. And so just sort of the light touch is important over time. So take your time. As opposed to like, you're going to learn to read today. <laughs> <laughs> Grab all the books! <laughs> now, some people might be listening to this and thinking that their kid is already like doing pretty good. They're like, oh, you know, my kid's reading or picking up books more. Maybe they're a little bit on the older side of our toddler purgatory listeners and they're five or six and they, they're reading in school. And, you know, my son is kind of reading to himself now. I don't know how his reading comprehension is. I asked him to retell me a, one of the narwhal and jelly books we were reading the other day. And his storytelling skills need some work, but we'll go on into that another time. But he's working. He's working on it. So for those parents and caregivers who are listening right now who are like, oh, I think my kid's doing pretty good. I think I'm all right. Can they find stuff in this book to connect to as well? I think they can. And I think it, it's mainly around this idea of understanding the two big buckets of things that go into reading. So on one hand, you have that oral language, vocabulary, background knowledge, all the things that contribute to understanding. And then there's that technical piece of matching letters and sounds. And so many kids will get to a point where they're reading the words off of the page pretty fluently and they're understanding the words. But as they advance through grade levels, 
they fall behind in terms of comprehension. And so they don't know enough about the world. They don't have enough words. They don't have enough context for the connections among things. Like we talked about the science example earlier. Science is so much vocabulary, (laughs) particularly. And it just gets more and more complicated. And so you need kind of like these mental frameworks of how things connect and how the world works. And so parents, I think, should continue to try to build vocabulary. And again, watch the documentaries, talk about things, help them get some visual images and understanding of things, go to museums, make things hands-on, but view your job as a parent. A big part of that is always, you know, as long as they will talk to you and to their teen years (laughs) as being a great conversation partner and trying to build vocabulary however you can. Because some of it, it's just about speed. And if the child does have a problem with the actual just decoding, matching the letters and sounding out words, address that as early as possible. Talk to the teachers, administrators, whoever you need to within your school or your area to get that addressed because they just have to have automaticity with that to be able to read sentences and paragraphs and pages and hold it all in their memory and make sense of it. That's amazing. It's so funny too because on the same science, the science, I hope he does okay because we drilled this, but on the same page, it said plastic wrap is transparent And he looks at me, he goes, huh. So the plastic has a mom and a dad? I was like, (laughs) we're getting there. We're getting there. We'll get get there. We'll we'll get there. (laughs) That you can work (laughs) with. I have one last question for you, Maya, if you don't mind. We talked earlier about how none of us really have physical pictures when we're talking about putting a picture book together to help our kids with reading and timelines and stuff. What are your thoughts? You know, I know this is a bit of a broad question on tech. Is it hurting our kids reading journey? Is it helping? Are there ways that we can kind of keep tech in mind? You know, I was telling Blair in part one about how I had a book started in every room when I was a kid because we also didn't turn the TV on until the Muppet show or whatever, you know? So like that, it seemed that there weren't these pulls on our attention like there are now. And obviously we all know tech is a blessing and a curse and and it's a wild beast, you know? But what are your thoughts on that? Is it helping our kids? Uh, What can we do to help? I think with the littles, it's hurting, but not in the ways that people think. So I think it hurts the littles because so much of their future reading success hinges on that early language development. And so parents are distracted. Parents are looking at their phones. Parents are, you know, in some cases, handing the phone to the little one. So there's not the eye contact and the presence and the engagement and the talking. And we all need to talk more in a conversational way with little, little kids than we do naturally, because no one's told us to do that. And so your point earlier about people who feel like it's too late, I didn't read this research until my daughter was after, you know, the ideal age to do some of these things, but you work from where you are and do the best that you can. So I think parents have to be mindful of their own technology use and how that affects their engagement and presence with their little ones. So true. My daughter said to me the other day, we should be having a, a tickle fest and I was over it and I picked up my phone and I was scrolling for like five minutes and she was like, okay, put your phone down and keep on tickling me. (laughs) But she said the words, put your phone down. And I was like, whoopsie doopsie daisies. Okay. And I put it down, but I was like, oh, she's getting it. And she's three. Yes. And it's a really common experience. There are a lot of surveys of parents who say, my child has told me to put my phone down. They're like extensions of our arms. We're using them for 85 things. It's how we tell time. It's how we check the weather. It's how we know where we're supposed to be. And receive messages and all these things. So we we have to be very mindful. 
Sometimes I'm reading articles, but they think I'm skimming Instagram. I'm like, I'm not. I do read. Right. They have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I I do read. Yeah. I do read. (laughs) And people ask about like the video books and eBooks for kids. And I'm still particularly with the itty bitties. I'm still a fan of just an old school board book. And those squishy books with the textures, because there are so many things that they're learning motor skills. So they'll eventually be able to hold a pencil and write, which is also important for <laughs> literacy development. So they're getting so much out of such a simple, affordable item when you have board books. And again, it brings you into the circle. So it's not just the book, it's the child, the book and the parent engaging. That's really powerful. And you don't get that in the same way with the flat experience of scrolling on a phone, even if it's an totally. ebook. It's so one dimensional. And it's hard to connect to that. Yeah, makes sense. And, you know, one of your the six or so levers that you call, one of them is budgeting, which I thought was really good because it's y'all got to get the book. It's so good. It breaks it down so well and dives into these different things. But one of them is budgeting. And it made me think about because we have to like literally budget money and time to, you know, help our kids reading journey. And it reminded me of how at Goodwill, one of my favorite places, has kids books 10 for a dollar. It's like, what? 10 for a dollar? Okay. So if you're, and also you mentioned too in the book, like start to chart the free days at the museum and, you know, national parks and that kind of thing are all affordable. And I just really like that reminder that the tactile journey of holding that book and investigating it and turning the pages, like you said, in the right direction and stuff is so much part of literacy and it can be sort of at our fingertips. Also, if you live in a city or in an urban area, people put books on their stoops all the time. So you can go ahead. Or in the, we have a little, uh, library in our park. This little, little hut. And my kids love going in there. And I'm like, Lysol wipes. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we don't know where these have been, but let's read them anyway. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it that you're into it, but let's bring the wipes with us. <laughs> yes. It's a total lifestyle. You can go around, check out the little free libraries, thrift stores, Goodwill. Many libraries do book sales because they have limited shelf space and they're getting new things in their collections all the time. And there's something about a child having their own little library. I was talking to a teacher recently who was doing Teach for America in a school, an under-resourced school, and they just couldn't get over the lack of books in the classroom. And they brought all their childhood books to their classroom. And I was like, wow, what a gift that they had a parent who built that library over time. And then now they can give it to Mm. a whole other generation of kids. Love it. Love it. I mean, books. It's what brings us together. <laughs> That's true. It's the beginning. It's the foundation of so many things. Maya, we mentioned mayasmart.com at the top of this section. Is Where else can we find you? What are some places that people can get more of your amazing and generous sharing of your knowledge? Mayasmart.com is the best place. There's a mayasmart.com slash resources is where I post the book lists and the read with me recipes and alphabet scavenger hunt, all those kind of free fun activities. I have a newsletter, which you can also access through the website. I'm on Instagram as Maya Smarty with a Y on the end. Maya Smart was taken. (laughs) Who is that other Maya Smart? How dare they? (laughs) I know. Who is she? (laughs) She might be a listener. She's like, it's me. We're on it. We're on it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Maya, we can't thank you enough for being on. It has been so great having you. Listeners, look for her book, Reading for Our Lives, A Literacy Action Plan from Birth to Six. Maya Smart, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We'll be right back. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? 
You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Toddler Purgatory, where we just got off the line with Maya Smart. Holy majolies. She is a wealth of knowledge. And that was a really fun talk. Let me tell you something. This book, I showed Blair earlier when we were not recording, but I have pages of notes from reading her book. Yeah, you do. It's so great. My son is six. So he's at the top edge of sort of the demographic that the book is written for or the parents of those kids. And there was still so much for me. And so I hope the listeners who are thinking like, oh, I'm too late or, oh, I didn't talk to my kid enough or have the back and forth when they were new. No, it's not too late. This book was, it's so incredibly helpful. It has so many great statistics to really think about also about the role of literacy in our country, like we were talking about in part one and how we can not only help our kids, but, you know, other kids through advocacy within the educational system, et cetera. It's incredibly inspiring. It's very personal. I didn't get a chance to mention that to Maya about how much I liked. She has mentions here and there of her own, you know, journey and her dad and her dad. It's just, yes, it's great. It's not a dry read at all. It's not like just, you know, a textbook. It's very incredibly engaging. I can't recommend it enough. Reading for our lives. It's great. I love, you know, something that she mentioned that I was like, right. You know how when you're like reading to littles and they're constantly flipping the pages back and (laughs) forth. Yes. And it's like, just let me get to the next one. I'm it's succinct. It's a succinct story. And it's like, wait, no, they actually like the tactile feel of the pages. They like how it like, yeah, how they're interacting with them. Like, 
Right. Of course. Of course. And also, do you remember that when, you know, obviously books on tape are so helpful when you're driving or when you're doing laundry, whatever. And then, of course, there's Kindles, which are a great boon for literacy as well. But I do remember a lot of my friends, and, and I agreed, saying, but I miss the smell of the book. Yes. And the feel of the pages. And that's sort of like that whole body experience of reading that you get sometimes. Where you're feeling the pages, you're, you see the dog-eared marks from the person who gave the book to you. You know, somebody might have written their name in the front of the book. Yeah. One of my favorite things, my mom sometimes orders us books off of Amazon that are used books or from, I think she also goes to, what's that one that's the used, it's a one website, but it connects independent bookstores. The Strand. I can't remember. Oh, well, it would, yeah, might have stuff listed from the Strand. But anyway, so she goes to that as well and sends us used books, which I love. Because mm-hmm. you know me, I love, I'm loving secondhand, I'm loving consignment. Give me that secondhand. Yeah, don't, I mean, don't get me going on Poshmark. That's a different podcast. <laughs> but she sends us them and I love so much when it has like the name of the previous kid in it, you know, like to Jeremy, love grandma. Yeah. 2011. And I'm like, oh God, yeah. it's so good. <laughs> Jeremy, we are reading in your memory of Jeremy is having this book. Jeremy's 22 and he's like, <laughs> it doesn't care. But yeah, I think it's really wonderful. The, the handing on of books, the handing down of books to other. It, there's just so much more to reading than just looking at words on a page. Although I in no way am putting down the Kindle experience either because I love that as well. I love that that could be some kid's way in. If they're a tech kid. Yeah, for sure. You know, I see kids on the beach sometimes and it looks like they're looking at tech, but you know what they're doing? They're reading a book on Kindle. Reading a book. Reading a book. Yes. Because it's easier because they've got five books loaded up onto it and it's easier for mom to have it on all in one place than hauling five books to the beach. Yes. And also kids devour books once they get into reading. They devour them. Yes. So yeah. So while there are some downsides to tech, as Maya mentioned, primarily for parents being on them too much because you got to connect with your kid when they're little and stuff. Mm-hmm. When we can use tech to our advantage to maybe be part of the reading experience alongside the beautiful experience of holding that book in bed with you and your eyes are starting to get sleepy. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's great. It's great. I will never forget when I was a kid, like hearing, like I knew I was supposed to put my book down. Mm-hmm. My bedtime was 9 p.m. It was absolutely 9.20. Hearing the creak of the stairs of my parents coming down, but knowing <laughs> I didn't have enough time to actually put it all away. So I had to pretend that I fell asleep with the book on my chest <laughs> and the light on. <laughs> I'm sure they weren't on to me at all. LOL. Uh, not in the least bit. Not in the least bit. They come in and literally, literally my eyes are barely fluttering closed. <laughs> but yeah, I love that. I love the experience and that discovery of reading as a child. Mm-hmm. It's great. I love how she mentions too, and something that I caught on to is just like the idea of of context and making sure that they understand it and taking, you know, not just leaving it all on the page, but taking it outside and bring it into conversations and talking about not only the stories, but with your little littles, the shapes of the letters and where you may recognize it in other places and You know, it's so many times in life as parents, we get so caught up in the day to day, right? That we feel like the natural connection that we have on the daily basis is enough, right? And it is. Most of the time it is. But when we step outside of ourselves and just like take a deep breath and really connect, even with these little things of reading stories to them and narrating life, it's just another reminder that like, it doesn't take much. 
Yeah. It doesn't take much at all. It just takes kind of being a little bit aware a lot That's of the it. time. That's it. And we, we go so hard on ourselves constantly for the big things. And this is like, these are the small things, like you mentioned, that's just like little things makes a difference. Yep. These little steps we can take. This little investment now will have big dividends later. And the funny thing is my husband and I have always taken such pride in, in saying, you know, our son is able to talk to adults and is able to start conversations and ask questions and stuff because, you know, we'd always say, oh, well, we talked to him when he was a kid. And I'm really wondering if we listened, <laughs> you know, or, or listened enough. And I think we did because he does have con- full on conversations with us. And we tried to make sure that he knew that what he had to say was important and had the right to be present as much as what we had to say. But it is funny, like Maya said, we had heard the same thing. Just always talk to your kids, talk to them, narrate what's going on. But that back and forth, mm-hmm. that, even when it's just gibberish, even when it's just gibberish, is so important. That was a real takeaway mm-hmm. for me, and, and I wonder if it was for some of our listeners as well, to make sure that you hold space for their replies, for their communication attempts. You know, and to really respect that. We find sometimes that our son is a little sensitive when we laugh at something he says because he doesn't understand how delightful he is. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he says something. Yeah. And he said, well, don't, don't laugh. He's also a sensitive little buddy, but I don't know. It's a funny thing where we want to be like, no, what you're delightful. Like, <laughs> no, no, you're funny, dude. We love this. Yeah. You're funny, dude. And so there is like, we can take delight in our children's babble, but I think we also have to take that minute to get on their level and listen and mm-hmm. nod and go, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. When, you know, and make sure they're part of the conversation. That was a real takeaway for me. I really, awesome. I really love it's, that. I love that we have people like the brilliant. I was about to say smart, my smart <laughs> that we have people like her who like she said, she enjoys doing the research. She enjoys delving into the why. And I love that. And then she said that she had this like bevy of information that she just couldn't keep to herself. So she wrote a book, y'all. And she didn't do it for her. She did it for us. And I love that. And look what it's just done just in this like, you know, 45 minute conversation that we're having. So hopefully it imparts to all of you and y'all run out and get that book. Get that book. Start thinking about the way that you're connecting with your kid. Maybe you're about to have a kid. Maybe you just had a kid. Maybe you're deep into the toddler years or even in the early school years. It is, like she said, it's not too late to help your kids see the world in a literacy kind of way, to see story, to see shapes, to see how things come together. And boy, reading is just such a wonderful part and foundation for all of their learning for the rest of their lives. So that's what we're going to do, y'all. We're going to do it. Go team. Go team. <laughs> Thank you for being here today on Toddler Purgatory. Thank you, of course, as well to Maya Smart. Uh, you can find her links and handles on the show page. And don't forget to go to toddlerpurgatory.com. Check out some old episodes or send us a note. We love hearing from you. We love you. We'll talk to you next time. Take it easy, y'all. Real truth alert. Pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were. But the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katiyun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. 
Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.